0: Good morning. Uh, Today's reading is taken from Job chapter 14, verses 7 to 17, and again chapter 19, verses 21 to 29. At least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again, and its new shoots will never fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground, and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. But a man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. As the water of a lake dries up or a riverbed becomes parched and dry, so he lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more, people will not awake or be roused from their sleep. If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hands have made. Surely then you will count my steps but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag. You will cover up my sin. Chapter 19. Have pity on me, my friends, Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you say, How we will hound him, since the root of the trouble lies in him. You should fear the sword yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: If I can ask you to take out your Bibles um, and turn to... Job chapter 14 and um, 19, those are the two passages that we'll look at, uh, Job chapter 14 and 19. If you want to print out, um, they are at the back, um, and um, please go through them um, and make sure that uh, yeah, that I'm speaking from the text, but let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are our Redeemer, Redeemer that lives, who lives. And we pray now that you would speak to us and give us that hope, um, hope of the glorious future that you have for us, that we might face uh, the world uh, with that hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gone through a time when you, all you wanted to do was to die? Uh, If you're older, I'm sure you've gone through a time like that. And if you're younger, the solid rockers are here, there might be a time, that time will come. Sadly, that time comes to most of us. When you go through such pain, there will also be this thought, even as you wish for your own death, you will think to yourself, life isn't supposed to be like this. Life isn't supposed to be filled with such pain and sorrow and suffering and evil, surely God is going to do something about this. Surely God should do something about the world. Well, Job felt like that. So Job, as he was going through such pain and suffering, there was this yearning within him that said life isn't supposed to end like this. Surely there's something more than this. And that yearning for an afterlife, that yearning for the resurrection, actually, actually becomes incredibly a hope, a faith in the resurrection, faith in the afterlife. He comes to say almost prophetically, I know that my Redeemer lives. I think he comes to believe in the resurrection. So let's see uh, how he gets there. Uh, you know uh, this is the third week in our story of Job, and uh, it's a five-week series. Um, but you know, sort of, you've heard the story of Job. I mean, it's a famous story. Even if you're new, I'm sure you know some of it, something of it. Uh, He was the greatest man, uh, we read in chapter 1, greatest man in that part of the world. He was one of the richest and the most righteous man. He was recognized everywhere he went. But one day, overnight, everything is taken away from him. All his business, all his livestock, all his friends, all his family. He had ten children. Overnight, he loses all ten of them. And as he's mourning, this this skin sore breaks out that's really, really painful he loses also his health look at chapter 19 verse 7 violence though I cry out violence I get no response though I call for help there is no justice he feels like he's a man being mugged as he's being attacked he cries out help violence is here but no help comes and he says there's no justice and what makes it worse is that he feels that it's God who is doing this. God is the actor in every verse here, eight, uh, verses 8 through 13. God has blocked my way, shrouded my path in darkness, verse, nine, verse 8. He stripped me of my honor. Uh, he, he tears me down on every side and uproots me, verse 10. He, ang- his anger burns against me and treats me, uh, treats me like a, a, an enemy. Verse 11, his troop advances in force, building a siege ramp against him, verse 12. And in the next part, God, he says, he's, God has alienated him from everyone he knows, his relatives, close friends, guests, servants, and his wife. And at the end, in verse 20, he concludes, I am nothing but skin and bones, and I've escaped only by the skin of my teeth. You know, we expect some degree of discomfort and pain and evil in this world. After all, we know that we are sinful. I know that you are sinful. Your sin causes suffering on one another. My sin causes suffering on myself. We expect some degree of sin and suffering and evil in this world. But what Job was going through, he's saying this is just completely out of proportion, you know, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't say that he's sinless. Verse 4 of chapter 19, he says, you know, there might be sins that I don't know about, but this is completely out of proportion, the degree uh, with which I'm suffering. It, it, I do not deserve a punishment like this. Uh, he can't understand why God is, I mean, take a look, right? God is building in verse, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Verse eleven, sorry, verse twelve. Why God is building a siege ramp? I mean, it's as if you know this big army has come against. He's they're building a siege ramp, and at the top of this ramp is this tiny little tent, which is Him. He's 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 gathered all the army of heaven against Him, and that's how he feels. He's hurting. Two weeks ago. Though we saw how unbelievable his confession of faith was initially when he lost everything. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. But few days later, after his friends come and sit in silence with him, when he opens his mouth, uh, we realize he's just a man like me and you. He doesn't curse God but he curses the day of his birth. Chapter 3. Uh, may the day of my birth perish and the night that, I, uh, that said a boy is conceived. And his friends come, as we heard last week. His friends come and make him, even, make him even feel even more miserable. Church, when you talk to somebody who's suffering, make this your prayer. Lord, help me not to say anything stupid. <laughs> Because in those vulnerable moments, just a few insensitive words could break this person. And remember, Job lost everything. He's completely vulnerable. And his friends come, and what they say completely break him. It's completely unfair. It's, it, it, it's, it's terrible. It's as if they're trying to break him. What they say is, Job, this is your fault. Surely you did something that made your children die, that made uh, all that you have uh, uh, vanish away, that, 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 that caused this health problem. Surely you did something. I mean, could you imagine? He's completely broken. Zophar in chapter 11 speaks, for example, Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you. Here, God has even forgotten some of your sins. Zophar says, Look, God's not even punishing you for all of your sins. God is punishing you. Surely you did something wrong. That's what they say to Job. And so, Job thinks about death. He thinks about dying. I mean, that is present in his mind. But even as he thinks about death, even as he wonders what death is like, even if he wants to embrace death, he thinks, Life is so unfair. It shouldn't be like, his death shouldn't end like this. When he thinks about his death, he thinks about how unfair and futile life is. So at this point, if you can turn to chapter 14, take a look at, ch- at chapter 14, verse 1. Mortals born of women are of few days and full of trouble. And what he's saying is life is really hard. Life is full of trouble and the life is short. It's unfair, and death is so final. This short life that's full of trouble, well, when you die, that's the end of it. When somebody breathes his last, that's the end of that life, isn't it, he says. So he envies, envies a tree. He envies the plants around him. Chapter 14, verse 7. At least there's hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it will sprout again, and its new shoots will not fail for plants, death doesn't seem to be the end. When it's cut down, a new shoot comes from its stump. I think you know, it, we see this in California fires a few weeks, I mean, a few years back. Do you remember there was this catastrophic fire uh, that wiped out acres and acres of land in California? It, was, it seemed devastating. And But do you know what happened the year after? What's called super bloom. It set this condition for these. This brilliant flowers to, to sprout everywhere. These colors were so vivid uh, and it was so vast. And this image could be seen, the colors could be seen from uh, from space. Death doesn't seem to be the end for the plants. And so he envies the plants. Oh, if I could just be like them. Verse 13, he says, look, if only... If only uh, you, you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If you would only set me a time and then remember me. What he's wishing for is death, but only for a time. He's saying, if, I could just, if you could hide me in my death, I know that life is the end, but if you could just hide me in death and remember me. If you could just call me back after all this has passed, could you please do that? And as soon as he says so, I mean, he utters this hope. uh, He goes, well, actually, this is not going to happen. Verse 14 continues in saying, no, it's wishful thinking. If someone dies, will they live again? Implying, of course not. But then he can't extinguish that hope. He wants to die, but he wants God to bring him back. All the day of my heart service, verse 14, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call me and I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hands have made. He thinks that he is about to die. He wants to die. God, he wishes that God would remember him and call him back to life after all this has passed. You see, this is the very beginning of the hope for the resurrection. Hope for a new life, a different world that we're meant to live. Friends, there is a hope of resurrection in all of us. In all of us, there's a hope for afterlife in all of us, isn't there? And almost every single religion in the whole wide world promises some, some, some form of afterlife, whether it's a reincarnation or a heaven or, or something like this, a new creation as Christianity uh, promises. In, in 2000, 2007, archaeologists in Italy discovered the lovers of Valdero while digging a Neolithic tomb. Uh, This tomb, in it were these two young couple. Archaeologists believe that they're about 20 years old. They're less than 20. Uh, But they were buried in this embrace, facing each other, hugging each other. Because when their friends saw this young couple die, they didn't think that it should end like that. They had hoped for a better life in the future for them. You know, I see this hope every time I go down to Hong Ham. In Hong Ham, in those uh, the, the, the funeral um, places, there you see the things that they burn: the money, and cars, and apartments, or whatever. You know, they are hoping for an afterlife for uh, their friends and family. Even the most rational among us can't seem to shake off this desire for an afterlife. There was a piece published uh, last December uh, uh, by um, neuroscientist uh, David Linden, who was a neuroscientist at Johns Hopkins who was uh, diagnosed with terminal heart cancer. He had about six months at the time um, when he wrote um, To Live. But as a neuroscientist, he said he started to wonder, well, why is it that everybody hopes for uh, a future life, afterlife? Uh, so he started to wonder and investigate uh, rationally. And he says, Well, his scientific explanation is our brain is always wired to think about the future. It's always thinking about the next moment. And so, because our, wa- our brain's wired that way, we hope we think about the next future life. And we can't fathom that it will end. But then, even as he gives a scientific explanation, this is how his piece ends in Atlantic. I'm not sure whether in the end, faith in life, in, in afterlife reincarnation stories is just a feature or, or a bug in human cognition. But if it's a bug, it's one for which I have sympathy. And what a special delight it would be to see Dana, Dana's wife, and my children again after I am gone. He doesn't think that there is anything after life, but then he just wishes that there were. He just wishes that he could see his wife and his children Again, C.S. Lewis also wrote of this longing and a hope, and this is what he says, If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Friends, if you have this hope, for a longing for a different world, a better world. It's because we're meant for a better world. The world, this world, is not supposed to be like this. This world is not supposed to be filled with evil and suffering and pain. Job hoped and yearned for a different world, the world for which we're designed. And what's amazing then, though, is Job, how he moves from this hope and yearning to faith in an afterlife, a faith in the resurrection. Uh, in it Now, if you can turn to chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. Here we see this burst of faith and an expression of faith in the resurrection. He's, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end He will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, and I myself will see Him with my own eyes, and I... And no other, how my heart yearns within me. This is faith in the resurrection, isn't it? I know my Redeemer lives, and after my skin has been destroyed, has been rotted away, somehow in my flesh, he says, I will see God. How did he get there? How did he get from the hope of the resurrection to faith in the resurrection? Did God speak to him and reveal something to him? I don't think so because God doesn't speak to him until the very end. Did somebody come and tell him about this? I don't think so. There's not, uh, you don't get any sense that he has these friends who could tell him um, these things. He was all alone. But I think he gets there through a sanctified logic, thinking about it. Because despite all that he was going through, remember, he did not curse God. Why didn't he curse God? Because he thinks that God is somehow good, that God is somehow just, that it shouldn't, he shouldn't do this sort of thing, that he shouldn't wor- uh, run the world in this way. But if he, his life ended in this way, it meant that God's justice does not have the final say. God's goodness does not have the final say. He says, we can't be the end like this. So He comes to believe in some form of an afterlife. He comes to believe in the resurrection. And he says this is God is his Redeemer. You know, if you read commentators, some people say that uh, this Redeemer, he's hoping for anyone to come and speak on it in his defense. But all his friends, closest friends, are not going to redeem him, right? His closest friends are accusing him. Now, I think his, this is hope in God He knows that God lives and God will not abandon him. A redeemer, uh, we'll find out in the rest of the Bible, is usually a relative who stands in your defense. So if you die, if you get murdered, a redeemer comes into your defense and, and argues your case and makes sure that the murderer is punished. If your uh, lot in the promised land, land is in jeopardy, uh, this person comes uh, in, 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 uh, in, uh, for you and makes sure that you can inherit uh, that land as we see uh, in Ruth and Naomi. And God is called Israel's Redeemer. And Job is saying, God will come and defend me. He lives and that means I also will live. Life will not end like this. Not only will he restore all things, he's also convinced that his friends, if they keep on being against him, that they will be punished. Verse 28, if they continue to torment him in this way, he says, you will be judged. If he's going through this long, dark tunnel of suffering, what he sees is the light at the end of the tunnel. And he hopes and puts his faith in the goodness of God, in the resurrection. Church, how about us? How about us? When we go through suffering, when we go through this dark tunnel that seems to have no end, where do you put your hope? Do you put it in the goodness of God? Because we have much more than Job has, right? We have the whole, whole of Job. We have the whole of the rest of the Old Testament that speaks of God's goodness and His mercy and faithfulness. Uh, we have uh, God's patience and love. And not only that, we have Jesus Christ, who is a redeemer, not only for the righteous, but He wants to redeem all of us, the sinners. He's that good. We lose perspective often as we go through the darkness in that tunnel. And we, we start to think, actually, God is not good. God is against me. No, God is good. Look to Jesus Christ. And if you need a reminder, come to church and take communion, the place where God's, uh, we were reminded that his body was broken for us, uh, that, that his blood was shed for us. No, he is good. And not only that, we have not just a hint of the resurrection in Job, Right? We, have, uh, the, we have Job, we have uh, places like Daniel where uh, the, the, the promise, uh, there is a promise of the resurrection. Now, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And not only that, we have the preview of the resurrection and the new creation in Jesus. Jesus dies and rises again, and Paul calls him the, the first fruit of the new creation. Friends, that yearning of our hearts for a different world is real. Job didn't know for sure, but we know for sure because of Jesus. And that is the light at the end of the tunnel that will help us to keep going. That God is good. And that there will, this will not end like this. It will end in the resurrection where, where all things will be made right. Joni Erickson was born in 1949 in Baltimore, Maryland. Her dad is in the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. And as you could imagine, then, all her siblings and she lived a very active life. She was very active until she broke her uh, cervical vertebrae when she was 17 years old in a diving accident. And she was paralyzed from the neck down from then on. But she is a Christian. Uh, as, a, as a Christian, it, was, it wasn't easy She thought about suicide. She thought about why. All the questions that would plague you in a situation like this. She describes a time when she goes to a Christian conference where the speaker, at the end of speaking, asked people to kneel before God, to, to kneel and pray. And so she watched as people to her left and right started to kneel and pray. And she started to cry because she couldn't do it. She so wanted to, but she couldn't do it. She started to cry. And then she says, and she remembered the resurrection. She remembered the hope of the resurrection. She writes, Sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven, I will be free to jump, dance, and kick, and do aerobatics. And although I am sure Jesus will be delighted to watch me rise on tiptoe, there's something I plan to do that may please him even more. If possible, somewhere, sometime before the party gets going, sometime before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on the resurrection legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. Our Redeemer lives Friends, when you go through suffering beyond words, beyond this life, please remember that this life is not the end. You will rise and you will see the, with your eyes the object of your heart's yearning, God himself in Jesus. And he will come and he will wipe the tears from your eyes. He will get rid of all evil in this world. He will make all things right because He is our Redeemer. And because He lives, and this isn't just wishful thinking, this isn't just a glimmer of hope, this is the hope that will come, that will swallow us all up, all the world up, and make us glorious. Let's pray. Lord, we give you a great praise and thanks that you've sent your son Jesus to die for us, that all those who trust in him will rise again in a glorious body, in a glorious world that will never end, that will be glorious in every sense of the word. Lord, we pray For those who are going through this dark tunnel now that you would help uh, them to set their eyes on your goodness on the end on the resurrection the hope of the resurrection and would you help us all of us who haven't yet experienced this lord to equip us to help us to taste your goodness to have this hope be deeply planted in our hearts that we might be able to suffer through it and to look to you and hope in you. And we thank you that nothing that we are going through is worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed through Jesus Christ. Help us to trust you now and always. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to now respond